You're listening to Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Rodney Hyde and Tane Webster. Here on Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, and we've got my, uh, my is it my muse? I don't know. Uh, it's Politics Explained, Back to Basics in the Political uh, Sandpit with Tane Webster. Good morning, Tane. Good morning, Rodney. So, what do you got for t- us today? Yeah, well, today's question's from a, from a listener, and what they've asked is, I'd be interested in Rodney's summing up of the MMP reform lead-up. I recall as a younger, only marginally interested voter thinking, these MMP folks have just got the biggest advertising budget. Those promotional signs were everywhere, but there seemed to be precious little visible support for maintaining FPP, nor for the other options, which I have forgotten what they were. Yeah. Well, it was uh, one of those great things in politics because on the one hand, we're very conservative. We don't like change. So if you put the, there's a great um, research experiment that people do where they say, um, here we have policy A, um, would you support policy B? And everyone says no. And then you say to people, well, we have policy B, would you support policy A? And everyone says no. So people are opposed to change in in politics. They don't like rocking the boat. And um, they like what they know. But I reckon that's not just politics, that's people in general. Yes. And then there's another thing, and that is if you want to push something through, it becomes very easy in politics because there's always a whole lot of grumbles in politics. And what you do is you offer up a reform that will fix everything, right? And that's how MMP was presented. We'd been through economic turmoil and governments, you know, New Zealand was on the brink of economic collapse and then governments were coming in and trying to deal with this and the pain was unbelievable. The disruption was unbelievable. I was young and loved it. But if you were older, you wouldn't. If you know what I mean, it just caught me at the right time. So disruption when you're young is quite a fun thing. But when you're settled and you've got a business or a farm or a family and a mortgage, I had none of those things. So I didn't have any pegs in the ground. And politicians had promised stuff and done the complete opposite, Jim Bolger. Worse, or as bad, governments hadn't promised anything and then done the exact opposite of what was expected. So you wouldn't have expected the fourth Labour government to be the most free market government that New Zealand has ever experienced. And it happened so amazingly quickly. And so the distrust of politics was huge. And there was also a rise of third parties. And the third parties would get a high vote, but get no representation in parliament because you had to win a seat, which required you to win like a third of the vote, not 5% or 10%. You know, to win a seat is very hard. But when the disgust with Labour and National were high, um, third parties like Social Credit and Bob Jones's New Zealand Party could score very high and not get a seat. 
So the existing first-past-the-post system was described as unfair, and it was promised that if you changed the system to a proportional system, the political parties would have to listen to the people more and be more accountable and be better, and plus we'd get a more diverse and exciting parliament. The old two-party two parties would get a kick in the guts. It was also helpful that the existing parties didn't want change because they were set up to do well under first past the post. And, of course, if the politicians were opposed to MMP, uh, that was the best argument for putting it in, if you know what I mean. If that said, yeah, MMP looks great, um, I think it would have been a different outcome. So the way it worked was, uh, 1986 had been a Royal Commission. It was a sort of a sop to all the free market reforms were going on, was to do a Royal Commission. They recommended some proportional system. I think they recommended MMP. And then, funnily enough, uh, from that, momentum grew. And the country was still bankrupt by 1990. And so Jim Bolger was sort of cornered. He couldn't promise to spend any money. And in a weak moment, he promised a referendum on whether we would go to MMP. And it was the one promise that he kept. Uh, he also promised that the surcharge would go on the pensions. And, of course, he kept it, which was um, terribly upsetting to retired people on their pensions because not only was it an economic hit, it was a promise that was written in blood and was quickly reversed once he had their vote. So we had a, a 1992, we had a referendum outside the election, which was to decide whether you wanted a change. And there were four options presented, all of a proportional representation um, nature, single transferable vote, I don't know, single SM. There was four. I can't even remember them, right? And I never even understood them. Um, and then there was MMP. And MMP was the one that a coalition of supporters, um, Phil Saxby's a name that comes to mind, Rod Donald is a name that comes to mind, and they organised a fabulous grassroots campaign for MMP as a cure-all. I mean, we would walk into the sunny uplands with sunshine and butterflies, if only we had MMP. And here we were our existing old parties opposing it. And then that went on in the 1993 election. That went on. I think it was quite close. I came, that's how I got involved in politics, because I joined the campaign to stop MMP, because I thought MMP was a terrible system, and I still do because it just empowers party bureaucrats and party bosses and makes for ever everyday politicians, not your local MP, accountable to you. So that's how it went. Um, and the writer in is true and correct that the campaign was everywhere because it literally enlisted thousands and thousands of people and I remember I had just shifted to Auckland and what is it, Mount Hobson? And you drive down the motorway and there's this mountain, you know, the volcanic cone with all the grass on it. 
and they poisoned the grass to make this huge sign MMP. And, I mean, you just couldn't miss it. And to be against MMP was to be on, quote, the wrong side of history or to be not socially acceptable and to be part of a big business plot. Um, And so we got MMP. I got so disgruntled that we got MMP, I thought, well, maybe we can make a third party, and that's hence how ACT was born, Mm. because it grew out of that campaign to keep first past the post, although a lot of the people that joined ACT uh, had voted for MMP. It was quite a funny thing, because it was almost needed to be, when we started ACT, there also needed to be a reconciliation, because people were still hit up about that fight over whether we would have MMP or first past the post. So that's the history of it. Right. And uh, can you cover off the, the other options that were No, I to? can't. There was a single transferable vote, which... Oh, oh yeah. There was, we have that already in the local government system for some yeah, councils. There was a supplementary member's vote and there was a preferential vote. The reason I know that with such extraordinary confidence is I just Googled it. But for goodness sake, don't ask me um what they are i remember very intense discussions about how mmp the sm was better or stv was better or you know there was some other variant was better on proportional representation and it always struck me as boneheaded because whatever system you have you're going to end up with politicians right yes it's it's not i mean and politicians yeah. will use it and uh, to the advantage and the difficulty with MMP to me is I don't like coalition government because it means you can't hold governments to account for their manifestos. I don't like the party bosses having this enormous power over choosing their list. I don't like coalition negotiations. Um, I don't like having list MPs. I don't like that you could literally vote a government out and then it could bribe another party to support it and keep an office. What I loved about First Past the Post is that when a party in power became unpopular, they could be resolutely and decisively beaten and we'd get a fresh government. Mm. Right on. Anyway, but having said that, the funny thing is, I'm not sure it makes that much difference. Um, you still got a parliament, you still got a politics. It was a huge shake-up to our parliamentary system because our parliamentary system was uh, British and it was adversarial and you have an opposition and a government and it had grown up over hundreds of years. And we had to graft onto our parliamentary system a multi-party system where there were party votes and coalitions. And it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it was a huge deal. I mean, parties used to not be recognized in our parliament, just members, and it was the individual members. And they were, funnily enough, freer to vote against uh, a government. It was up to them. They could choose how they voted. There'd be consequences for voting against your own party. In fact, you could bring a government down. But with MMP... The individual vote is gone, and you have a party vote. And you see this terrible thing now. To me, 
where you're having a vote in parliament and there are five MPs in the chamber. Mm. And one MP will get up and say, you know, X number of votes for national, X number of votes for Labour, X number of votes and sit down. Whereas previous to that, every MP had to leave his office or her office, come down to the chamber and walk through the door and record their vote. Just seems more accountable to me at an individual. Yeah, it does seem odd that. when you read in, in articles, oh, so and so was absent for the vote. Like, yeah, how's that okay? How how's that? Allowed? It's not okay. It's not okay. And I mean, you know, and it's a cop out for, for some politicians because the way they they didn't want to say no to it, but they didn't want to say yes to it either. Maybe so they just yeah, there'd be MPs that wouldn't have a clue what was being voted on for months, right? Because someone's just recording their vote and it's not their particular area. Now, you could argue that under first past the post, you would turn up and you say, which way am I voting? Right? Or you'd look around and you'd say, which way is national going and which way is Labour going? And you'd go accordingly. But just that mere thing of having to walk through the door is a level of accountability that we don't have now. Yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe my opinion is different to yours. I, I think it's good to have a system which allows for other parties for, for not, you know, you don't want hundreds, but, you know, or even dozens, but you, you want a good selection available. And with FPP, it was mainly, right, you know, yeah. it was mainly national labor. So and, 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 you know, that's why the American system is kind of more screwed than ours because it's a, it's a, it's a duopoly. You, you, there's no chance a third party will ever kind of get in i mean in the foreseeable future we don't know what's going to happen can't predict everything but but it's uh, interesting you see because in a funny way those two parties that are competing the duopoly they struggle to get their votes and they're hunting for votes the whole time you know for the election and you you might only have a choice of two or three like you throw your vote away in a third party it still counts against the parties that want your vote and so they are hunting. And I mean, for example, the New Zealand party, led by Bob Jones in 1984, undoubtedly defeated Muldoon, but actually prepared the ground for the free market reforms that subsequently happened because Bob Jones campaigned on them. Yeah, he's great. We should get him on. Um, yeah, but I mean, he, he literally campaigned on them. And I mean, although he didn't get elected, he had a dramatic impact on politics and the direction yeah. of New Zealand. So anyway, look, there's no perfect system other than what I see as the maximum freedom for each of us and keeping government as small as we possibly can. And 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 decentralised. And decentralised, absolutely decentralised. Um, and again, that's almost impossible in New Zealand. I found this with local... The great examples about decentralisation are local government and school boards and hospital boards. Local councils get almost no say, right, because government legislates everything they have to do. When I reformed Auckland, there was an 109 things that the Auckland Council had to do by law that Parliament had given them to do. So when you get elected to council, you don't decide what you're going to do as a new council. 
it's already been decided, here are the 109 things that you're going to do. Then you find yourself strapped into a planning regime that sets up these railway tracks, again, that has been legislated by central government, and you can't get off those tracks because previous councils and governments have signed up to it. Then you discover that everything you want to do has to be funded, whether it be transport, the environment, or whatever, by central government. Rates don't cover it enough. And everything's being decided by the Ministry of Transport, by the Ministry of Fisheries, every government department that you can imagine. And you're just there to rubber stamp. It's even worse if you're on a school board. Schools are run by the government, not by the boards. I mean, it's extraordinary when you look at it. Hospital boards are the same. And I find that this quasi vote your council in and they'll get to have a say or vote for your school trustees, they'll get to have a say as a sort of pretend democracy or pretend decentralization because all the power is held by Wellington everywhere you look. Mm. It's disgusting. I mean, I would actually think it would be better. This is crazy, right? But think, I mean, I really do think this. I was Minister of Local Government for three years. And no local council was interested in me because all I was responsible for was the Local Government Act. They were interested in Minister for Environment and Minister of Transport because that dictated what they could and couldn't do. And I came to the conclusion that you'd be far better to have central government appoint a council, right, to run it, and they take responsibility for it because they were controlling what the councils do, but the poor mayor and the poor council were copying it. Does that make sense? And yeah. you saw you saw this in times of strife, you know, with the earthquake. Um, Christchurch Council didn't get to decide anything. Um, day to day, the big decisions are still, all the transport decisions, even at local level, get made by the, uh, central government, um, and central government will turn around, and if it doesn't like what a council's doing, it will either sack them or change the law and make them do it. And that's literally how central government thinks. It's tyrannical over local council. It's tyrannical over the school system. But we have this pretense that we've decentralised it, and I think if you're not going to decentralise it, you actually make those who are pulling the strings responsible. Hmm. It's a bit of a rant. We work with the system we've got. Yes, we do. And, I mean, it's a great system because whether you have MMP, first-past-the-post, school councils, boards, whatever, you can always dump the government. You've got limited choices, but you can always dump it, and they know it. Every three years, they can come up for election. Only democracy gives you that. No other system does. You're with uh, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. It's Politics Explained, Back to the Basics with political sand, in the Political Sandpit with Tane Webster, a regular feature that we have. Thank you for those uh, questions, Tane. Please, listeners, questions for Tane and I to discuss. I'm terrible because I tend to dominate. I normally use Tane asks me the question and off I go. That's the problem. Maybe we've got to turn that around. Send us a question for Politics Explained to 2057. Uh, email us at inbox at radleycheck.radio. And um, also, send it if you think I'm wrong. 
or Tane's wrong, because we'd love to hear from you, because this is where we can actually have those proper debates, and it is election year. Mm. Tane, thank you. See you next week. See you next week. You're listening to Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Rodney Hyde and Tane Webster.